0: Um, a bunch of people invested with these these two teenagers, and then like the money was just gone. And so now they're trying to bring them to court um, because, well, you want your money back. When when is it like shame on you? Like I I just I don't I don't understand. Sorry, Miss Muddit. I am for real. This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Douglas, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing.
1: How are you? I'm good, man. Um, Yeah, good. That's it? Got a charity event in Denver that I'm excited about tonight okay hitting space jam today with the kids oh
0: <laughs> are you going out but we're or going
1: to the theater or i was like no you're not allowed okay. to watch this on hbo max <laughs> we are going to the theater and then i'm gonna complain the Fair whole time enough. that uh lebron's not jordan it's gonna
0: be so much fun it it's it's not gonna be good <laughs> it's like, not gonna be bad it will be bad <laughs> no but the first one is bad too you know it's just
1: it's like brilliantly bad you waited till I took a bite of breakfast to say the first Space Jam is bad.
0: Exactly. And we, you're,
1: well, you know what I mean. You're you know what a, I mean. A couple of states away. Otherwise, I'd drive down there, slap you across the face. <laughs> you, Not okay.
0: The Demon Twins
1: again. I love the theme song. I love everything uh, about Space Jam. I know. I didn't say I didn't love it, but all right. What, what, do, you, what do you, what do you got on the docket? <laughs> uh, shout out to uh, Bismarcky, a true legend that we lost yesterday. Yeah. Seriously. I, I think I might be confused, but did he die twice? I was sure he, well, yes. Uh, my wife was telling me the news and I was like, man, you're really like three weeks behind in your uh, catching up on news here. And then apparently it was a false alarm the first time. I, I felt it hurt me both times. Let's just say that. I mean, it really did. Yeah. 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 Anyway. I can't handle it. Shout out. I love just a friend. It's a great song. I listen to it at least once a year, which is totally irrational for something that
0: came out in 1989. But it's also not because it's it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And I uh, I went to a, a concert that was De La Soul and Biz Marquis and Talib Ooh. were the like opening acts. And Biz came out and he DJed with his belly. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw that. I, I, I think was, I've seen that as well so impressed and also uh i mean you know it's a little gross at the same time <laughs> but but he was just a unique soul a unique you know, so. guy yeah like uh had
1: such a presence that made you happy on stage exactly. really fun just jovial um so shout out yeah i mean speaking of that crew how about we start off with a game a game i'd like to call what's the scenario uh and will you can throw out some tribe lyrics if you want okay so I know you're a, a huge Bitcoin fan, right? Love it. Everyone knows that if inflation skyrockets, the price of Bitcoin is going to go crazy. And for the listeners who can't tell the sarcasm in my voice, I want to I talk about that with you, but let's first set the stage by talking about inflation. So the most jarring uh, chart I saw this week regarding inflation is something we may have talked about in the past, um, but it's used car prices, right? And you were were mentioning yourself that you have first-hand experience with this. True. Well, I mean, like, the car we thought we might buy a year ago, we're definitely not buying anytime soon because it's actually significantly more expensive than it was previously. There's a chart that came out this week in Bloomberg that shows uh, the yearly change in used car prices um, skyrocketing. It's up more than 40% than this time last year. That's insane. It's off the chart. There are some spikes in the late seventies, a period we've talked about, and early eighties where you might reach a twenty percent range. But this chart goes all the way back to the fifties. The historical average is maybe two percent a year,
0: and you're something that's jumping up forty percent. Question here, because I feel like I can understand how cars today, for the most part, are running off of chips, semiconductors. And those, there's a shortage there that makes the prices go up there, basic economics. But used yeah. cars don't as much, right? I guess it depends on what years they are. But why? Like, why are used cars such
1: a big, thing?
0: Well, so the,
1: the speculation I've read, and I'll call it speculation, it might be a little more founded than that, is basically chip shortage is affecting the new car supply, uh, which, which is increasing the prices of new cars. And that's cascading down the supply gotcha. chain. And impacting used cars because um, people have I to buy that's, cars. That's like fairly you, reasonable. You,
0: you have um, to get a car. So, like, <laughs> I'm buying some car.
1: Yeah, right. And and that one's out of my price range. And so, gosh, what what the value you get for the money in the car space is just not what it used to be. And the consumer price index the last couple months is hovering around five percent. We're now getting, I think, more concern from leaders in Washington about inflation being here to stay. I saw an article this week interviewing some of the world's top CEOs, folks like Jamie Dimon of JP Morgan, who are now saying like inflation is here to stay and it's going to be here for a while. I'm not trying to be alarmist, but this seems to have taken hold over the last three months in a way where people aren't really debating. If it's here, they're debating how severe it will be. Yep. So Diggles, if, if you were starting to get concerned about inflation, what are the right thing to do to be like to send the majority of Americans additional money some some more you need more more cash out there yeah is what is what you want to do I mean so on top of that and I'm joking about this I so I I like the foundation but the tile child tax credits all just went out this week and so you have gosh I don't have the numbers in front of me I think it's like 40 million Americans uh actually it's more than that I believe that more than that all got checks if you have children under 18.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's either you get like 200 bucks or 300 bucks, I think, or something like that, because it's a it's 3600, I think, is the cap out. And so 300 bucks a month, I think, is how much you could get. But okay. regardless, all these
1: things just have me they just have me chuckling like like <laughs> all the data says that inflation is headed towards a point that we haven't really seen in our lifetimes. So we talked about this in a prior e- episode, if you're born in the early to mid eighties, like you've never really had to deal with this in a significant way. And we have the Biden administration, I understand why, and I'm not talking trash, but like (laughs) sending people checks talking about the $3 trillion infrastructure plan. I mean, there's that, this cycle that I'm so fatigued of, of every week or every month, there's a new trillion dollars they want to spend. I totally get it, but it's just like. Guys, there has to be some counterbalance here, and I think what you're seeing with all the spending and the fact that the economy kicked into gear, what are what are we gonna do about this? It's it's we a can't lot. have runaway inflation,
0: man. We can't. I want to say we won't, but there is a crazy, and I, I I don't mean that the that we won't start to see it, but I think the Fed will battle it uh, if it happens. It's just that the battling for what we talked about before is potentially results in like catastrophic situations because of the amount of debt like it, it's a we, we don't have a lot of tools that we can battle inflation on and not send things into a bit of a spiral so we're gosh darned if we do and gosh darned if we don't
1: i mean the the tools i think we have is not to pass more trillion dollar spending initiatives and to raise interest rates the first
0: one i get i think we have to raise interest rates it's just that 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 is one one of the things that results in a in a downward spiral well but we're gonna be okay. in a spiral no matter what I think that's the that, that's what I'm talking about
1: let's get to the what what's the scenario game right I forgot that there was a game here this. yep let's, go, let's so, go um let's just let's just assume inflation is happening and let's uh talk about an, an average household budget and let's say maybe we'll talk percentages maybe uh this individual or this family spends like 25 percent of their income on their mortgage or their rent, buy groceries, whatever they pay for childcare, they do all these things. Maybe they have ten percent left over for savings each month, and they probably have a car payment, all these things. So let's say they're one of those people that decide they need a new car, okay, and their car payment goes up significantly. And let's let's pretend they're renting, and let's say their rent payment goes up significantly. Either that, or they purchase a new home at a uh, in pressure right now. So let's say their costs go up ten percent a year. Um, they had a, a savings buffer, they were saving ten percent of their money. In my eyes, what probably happens is they stop saving that amount of money. I guess my question for you is in what scenario do they buy
0: more Bitcoin, Douglas? in every scenario you buy more Bitcoin <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't know
1: what okay Michael Michael Saylor yeah exactly there. that's, no, that's it I, I mean
0: I just what do you mean
1: I just don't get it right like the Bitcoin lovers will tell you inflation is like the best case scenario because this is digital gold and this is a great store of value and when the U.S. is printing too much money Bitcoin's value is going to skyrocket But I just don't get it. I'm saying if your average consumer's prices are going up, your average consumer has less money to so-called invest, whether it's in the stock market or Bitcoin or gold or whatever, I don't see the demand for those products, those investments going up because I think the way that inflation will work is your average American will be more strapped for cash. And that means they're going to save less and invest
0: less. Am I thinking about this right? I don't think so. I I, I think I, I get like a basic the basic premise of what you're saying, but the strapped for cash piece I think is what's untrue, based on sure. even what you said before. Because we're just throwing more and more cash out there. At some point, we will be strapped for cash, but that's not right now. Like we we feel like you know inflation, too much money chasing too few goods. I think we we are just getting more and more money out there. So I I actually don't think people broadly, this is not true for every pocket or feeling strapped for cash, because cash actually feels like the least limited thing we have right now. If I'm strapped for cash this month, next month, I'm going to get a child tax payment, or next month, I'm going to get a stimulus check, or next month, right. And again, that is not everyone, but it is it's a it's a broad spectrum across the US economy today. Okay, I like that
1: perspective a lot, because there's almost this, this cycle like you said too much cash that leads to the inflationary cycle that i'd say we're at the beginning stages of now and it is one of those i mean like you can picture the family that last week was like oh gosh my car payment went up and i'm really starting to feel inflation and then a check showed up or or a deposit showed up in their bank account for a tiled tax credit they weren't really planning on it and they're going oh this is great uh you know i'm logging into Robinhood and buying something but at what point does the music stop, I guess is, is what I'm wondering, because in order to reverse the potential, this is all hypothetical conversation, but in order, when if inflation gets out of control, let's just make that assumption for uh, conversation's sake, not even a prediction or anything, just because it's a fun conversation. At some point, there has to be the opposite of that. So too few dollars for too many
0: goods, right? Yep. I think, so Powell has the keys and he decides when the music stops it's a tough job to, to have right now um, to have that responsibility on your shoulders. But I, I think that's it. And it's not just him, right? Yellen has the, yeah. the keys in the treasury. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think it's, the, the fed is controlling a lot of this stuff right now, to be honest, there's the, the first point that you brought up around not spending trillions of dollars. Like that's one of the tools we have in our toolkit. Like there's a responsibility of the the president and Congress, I think, but it's, I think it's mostly sitting on Powell and, and, and Yellen. They decide because this is, this is fully a Ponzi scheme, house of cards, whatever analogy you want to use situation where if we don't feed the beast, the beast won't be fed. And at some point we have to stop feeding the beast.
1: So let's, let's talk two hypotheticals. It could be with Bitcoin or gold. Again. I just, I just think this is an interesting conversation that I want your thoughts on. Let's just say we continue to, uh, print money, keep interest rates low, and there continues to be too many dollars for too few goods. Inflation is obviously going to continue to be relatively high if you look at the last 40 years. Is there money left over for bitcoin, for gold, for whatever else because people don't know
0: where else to spend it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking. Money left over for bitcoin. That's that's not a it's <laughs> not a thing. Unless you're talking about South Africa.
1: No, I just I just uh don't I, I don't really buy Bitcoin as an inflationary hedge, I think. I I know gold historically hasn't been a good long-term inflationary hedge. I, I'm just curious for your take, because that seems to be the refrain that I hear most frequently. And I just, I was thinking about it this week when I was feeling uh, the inflationary pressures with like my personal budget and I'm going, no, I have less money to invest if my costs rise. I don't have more money to invest and I'm just, I was just wondering about
0: it. Yeah, you're you're way too logical. I think that uh, I think the answer is no for like money left over for Bitcoin because it's a, it's not an inflationary hedge in the sense, even in the sense that gold was like that because the the thought with gold was that it it has its own inherent value that's independent of what else is happening in the rest of it. Like that's the whole thing. And as you've mentioned many times, Bitcoin doesn't. It's all fiat when the uh when the world no longer has some faith in bitcoin i don't even it's a ridiculous phrase for me to say but some like faith in bitcoin bitcoin yeah. no longer has any value right and so so it can't be an inflationary hedge it doesn't it doesn't make any sense unless you get a bunch of countries all of a sudden that pick it up which who knows right but so no i, I don't think so
1: okay well sorry to go down the rabbit hole there uh, no, i just all all right i don't know man it it's not on my top uh but, list of inflationary
0: hedges but south africa yeah go and for it yeah so did you have you seen these teenagers in south africa no that so uh there there is this company called Afracrypt uh in south africa that was started by teenagers and they i think they started it when they were like 16 and 19 so pretty young um and it was a like a bitcoin Or crypto i'll say broadly investment firm okay even if you said you said you did not have leftover money for bitcoin but if you did would you feel like the way to get that bitcoin was to give your money to 16 and 19 year olds in order to invest it or no um i mean i do
1: have some money invested in a south african crypto fund (laughs) <laughs> it's called so, Invictus Capital though but uh oh, oh yeah, I can't is, wait to hear is, how this ends so, uh, I'm
0: sweating over here you, you know how this ends so <laughs> the I'll give you I'll give you this line uh from an article that I I think points to many many things that we have pointed to bubble territory right miss muddit 72 saw an opportunity to grow her cash by tapping into the bitcoin craze like are you kidding me right now so there's so there are these uh these teenagers they started this company people decided this was a place that they wanted to put their uh their investments there was one law firm that said that the um when they looked at the address that the um that the teenagers owned right that it got up to 3.6 billion dollars in bitcoin the teenagers themselves have claimed we never had that amount of money they only had Up to 200 million dollars in bitcoin which itself seems quite ridiculous as well but the long story short so we don't have to go too deep into this uh, a bunch of people invested with these these two teenagers and then like the money was just gone and so now they're trying to bring them to court um, because well you want your money back when when is it like shame on you like i i just i don't i don't understand sorry miss muddit i am for real but it just seems it seems ridiculous to me. Like, don't don't. don't none of nothing that we talk about is investment advice. But even things that we don't talk about should also not be investment advice. Oh, yeah, including yeah. my 16 year old started an investment firm. This
1: reminds me. It it got cut from the show, but we changed an article a while back about like a 15 year old started a crypto club with their church, and oh then, yeah, uh, and then some money like kind of disappeared but the trading profits seemed good and then people wanted the money back it basically turned into a Ponzi scheme where this teenager was collecting money from a bunch of 70 year old ladies at church being like oh I'm gonna add crypto to your portfolio and then had some losses and couldn't
0: keep track of where all the cash went you know like don't don't trust 16 year olds with your Bitcoin money
1: if if you and you don't even need bitcoin money i mean
0: uh, it feels ridiculous to say it 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 feels almost as ridiculous as like don't drink bleach (laughs) (laughs) you know but because i it it makes me think about the uh phrase i think it might be buffett that said this but regardless buffett einstein somebody what the wise man does in the beginning the fool does in the end yeah that's a good one it it, um it, it like it just makes me think about a lot of what we talked about here of And we don't know when the music will stop, but the music will stop at some point. And when you're at this point of the market cycle, people feel like there's, there's either a feeling of FOMO, or a feeling of, um, of greed, or there's whatever the mix is that you have to get in at all, like you, you have to continue at all costs. And at some point, you get into that Ponzi scheme style situation where you have to feed the thing you just did. And that's so dangerous, man
1: this psychology i look at people that i consider to like i look at certain people that reach a certain level of wealth and i always wonder like when the music when the game stops for them when they go enough is enough and i'm sure people look at me and go skippy when is enough is enough for you i think everyone's perspective of what enough is varies greatly and it depends on where you are in your uh career or your money generating years or, or whatever else but i just sit back in awe with a lot of people acquaintances and non-acquaintances you know celebrities and whatever else and go gosh you could take a break right now you could significantly reduce your risk and your quality of life would be just as good probably better but it's so easy to get caught up in this cycle uh whether it's in i want to work 90 hours a week or I have to jump from company to company, or I have to buy that next rental property, or I have to make that next risky investment. It's just a fascinating
0: observation to me. And I wish I had some answers for it. Yeah. Even to, to pick on like a little phrase that you just used a bunch there, like have to, it makes me think about something that Howard Marks, uh, who runs, uh, Oak tree capital wrote in, have you read his book mastering master the market cycle or mastering the market cycle something like that i got halfway through yeah Um, it's not as it's like nowhere near as good as most important thing but but still interesting he's he's just a brilliant guy so his words are interesting but at some point i think it was in that he wrote that there are there are some words that should be banished from the lexicon of investors and those words were things i can't remember them all but it was things like Always, never, have to, must, right? Like, and I think that there I think that there's a lot of truth in that. Is that when when uh when the absolutes are coming out of your, your mouth, then that means that you're not in a place where you're thinking uh like logically or about probabilities. Because nothing's ever absolute, right? There's even even if if there is a great decision that you're making and in investing that great decision might be the right decision based on your process. And that great decision might mean that you have a 72% chance of it being successful, which can be like the right move, because that's a high probability. That also means you have a 28% chance of it not being successful. And so if you go into it and you say like, this is absolutely going to work, then you've you've already you've like, you've lost it. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think
1: not always in the investment space. But generally, I can be bad at that, you know, thinking about have to's or always or nevers. Um and it it's it's never the case. Uh William Green even in his observation of the world's best investors said they're basically all probabilistic thinkers, right? Yeah. And so that means every decision is not it's not a slam dunk this is the right decision. It's there's a eighty percent chance, maybe a ninety percent chance, maybe even a ninety five percent chance this is gonna work out. But it's never a hundred percent chance. Exactly. This inflation stuff and this desire for more tied in with the bubble stuff has been
0: interesting for me, jumping off the page of me. Well, it it is it's interesting stuff. All right, Fishbowl. I would like to dive in then and talk about one of your favorite investments that you've made. I think it makes up, I don't know, 0.01% of your portfolio is your Dogecoin. Yes. 0.001%. Yeah. Yeah. so one of the founders of Dogecoin this week went on a little bit of a rant, a lot of bit of a rant on Twitter. And it's like, it's interesting. And it may be the first thing I actually thought about when I saw this was uh, one thing that you bring up often, which is that uh, in investing is contradictory, which I think is such a great phrase. And the fact that there's this individual who helped to found a coin That is from the beginning a joke. Right. If if you just take that phrase, at least for me, what I thought, what I think about is like, who is this human being? And I think about some like like person in their basement, and they're probably maybe a little bit immature and they're joking about all this stuff and they're really jovial. And you know, like it's just like there's not there's not a lot of stereotypes, man. Yeah, exactly. But I so I read this Twitter thread, and basically this guy's his name's Jackson Palmer. His Twitter handle is, um, Jackson, just to, you know, feed that stereotype a little bit more. But he, he went off on this Twitter rant about how he doesn't like to talk about cryptocurrency in public because he actually he's anti-crypto, which seems strange to, if you're anti something, why you'd create it. But I will read you one of the tweets. He says, cryptocurrency is like taking the worst parts of today's capitalist system, EG corruption, fraud, inequality, and using software to technically limit the use of interventions, EG audits regulation, taxation, which serve as protections or safety nets for the average person. That's a powerful statement. What do you think about that? Uh, I'm very like counterculture today.
1: So my, earlier I was telling you that I don't know that inflation is going to be good for Bitcoin. This tweet storm, which was supposed to make me hate cryptocurrency, kind of made me go, oh, there! this is a fully functional financial instrument. Most of what he's saying, the... Let me find the other tweet he talks about basically the cryptocurrency is controlled by a powerful cartel of wealthy individuals who with time have evolved to incorporate many of the same institutions tied to the existing centralized financial system that they're supposed to set out to replace that tweet in particular i was like well that's what happens in most fiat currencies (laughs) <laughs> there's, there's a powerful group of individuals at the top, whether it's Rockefeller or someone else that's trying to make more money, dominate the game. in in the crypto stuff, I think what's so fun with the memes that are tied to it is you see the people like pumping this and they all have a financial stake. Like they're all acting in their personal best interest They they don't want you to go buy Dogecoin so you can get rich. They want you to buy Dogecoin so they can get rich. Right? So I don't know if I directly answered your question, but this tre- storm wasn't as adversarial for me against the thought of cryptocurrency. It kind of meant, it, I kind of took it as like, oh, well, this is, this is functioning and that's
0: how capitalism works, unfortunately. Uh, I think that sometimes in people's lives, they, depending on what the, the lens they view the world in, they realize that they're a part of this system that they, they can't like I- internally justify you're talking about jackson palmer specifically here i'm talking broadly but a little bit yeah i mean the dude is a he is an engineer at adobe so like yeah you're, like you're, you're a part of the capitalist system <laughs> like if you want to you're working for one of the largest software companies in the in the world and you're discussing powerful cartels that keep people rich like it's a <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I I think that oftentimes people are kind of like there's this thing that I don't that I I don't like and I don't trust, right? And I hate that. And then you look back and you go, well, hold on, oh, actually, I am that. I created that, and I think it creates this like a uh, this identity crisis that is like it's really hard to uh, to justify. I I, I would love
1: to have Jackson on the show. He's not going to come on the show because he doesn't want to talk about cryptocurrency, but if you go back to the tweet you're referencing where he talks about the worst part of today's capitalist system in a way that assumes that today's capitalist system, you know, there, he's mentioning audits, regulation, taxation, you have to have faith that that I'll just pick on taxation, that that taxation is done in a way that's fair. And then that money is spent in a way that benefits society. A lot of people don't believe that. So for him, he must believe that. But for the people that say, there's a way for me to avoid taxation. And it in I mean, let's talk outside of the US. Let, we can't pretend taxation is always done in, in a fair and reasonable way. No. Even in the US, oh, I forget the term, but uh, there are certain police departments that will leverage a search policy where basically like for poor individuals, a small claims court costs might cost several hundred dollars. So they'll walk up, search them, take the $20 out of their pocket and know that that individual doesn't even have the means to take them to court to get their $20 back. So those people, do those people think that the, the regulation and audits that come with the current us financial system is fair to them? I can't imagine that they do
0: absolutely yeah they they don't even think about the well I know and I'm not saying out. they
1: want their 20 bucks in in crypto but they might they might want 20 bucks in dogecoin instead of 20 bucks in cash that's just going to get robbed from them uh, and then the last thing on Jackson Palmer is part of me this is unfair part of me is going does he just wish he would have held on to his initial dogecoin holding so he could be like a multi-billionaire right now because he didn't ride any of the upside
0: because it was a joke to him. I wonder why he cashed out. They both did. Yeah. If you create a coin, why, like, why not just have it? Like, I, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. Investing is let's, contradictory. Let's
1: put me in his shoes, right? I create a coin. I have some ups and downs with the crypto community. Because it was created in like 2013, right? It's been a, yeah, it's been a long time. Ago and i just decide i'm done with this and i'm moving on with my life i can tell you how bitter i'd be if that if that work i did in 2013 turned out to be worth 10 billion dollars and I, I didn't keep that lottery ticket in my back pocket right i'd be super bitter you'd be yeah you're bitter anyway <laughs>
0: all the time <laughs> no I, I i hear you i hear you what else is in your fishbowl there's i don't know if there's a there there for this but one thing uh that i I spent some time reading about this week is the ultimate market portfolio. Ooh, Okay. Okay. So there's a, there was a a Bloomberg article about it and a financial times article about it um, that I read. And what it, what it was saying was that there's, there's been like this Holy grail quest uh, in the world to create a market portfolio of everything. And it's been proven apparently in the past that it's an impossible task to to like price everything and therefore create a portfolio of it. But the uh, MSCI, which is, I, I don't know what it stands for, but it's an organization that, that creates um, indices, right? Like around that like you can buy like Chinese stocks and Japanese stocks, right? Kind of like, you know, Vanguard, et cetera, does. Uh, and they have denied that they're doing this. But the articles I read stated that they are they're trying to put they're trying to create this impossible portfolio for what reason I don't know i think because people just have nothing else to do these days but the concept of it i thought was really fascinating and it's a uh, it's kind of like the ultimate diversification tool yeah so i want to uh,
1: clarify for the listeners because when you say ultimate portfolio holding everything you don't mean all the stocks and bonds in the world you mean like all the assets in the all world
0: all the assets like, in
1: the world yes. like like housing and utility and art. i mean like basically art like all the assets in the world and you can break down people do this sometimes like the art market as part of the total collectibles market is like some portion you know yep. like it might be 10 percent. but then you do that over and over with so you If you buy this ultimate world portfolio and you buy a hundred bucks of it and it's done correctly, which might be an impossibility, you own a little sliver of some Picasso's in there and you own a decent amount of all the houses or all the residential places in all of the world, basically, and all the utilities and all the debt and like, right. That's, that's what we're talking about. Exactly. That's what we're talking about. All the assets in the world. Yeah. So, it's uh, with diversification comes a reduction in risk, generally, if you diversify smartly. But man, I have to imagine those returns look pretty. It, has anyone done an
0: estimate of what yearly returns would have looked like for this portfolio historically? Uh, I didn't. I didn't see anything like that. But yeah, it's it's got to pass the point. As you mentioned, uh, diversification. What's it called when diversification goes too far? I mean, I've never heard of the term. Should we make one up? No, there is a term. Okay. Diversification. <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I I think that this this passes that that bar, right? Um, but it's it's like again, I don't know if there's really like a there there. It was just uh, in reading about this, I just went that seems just weird. I have zero interest in in buying a part of everything uh that exists out there zero interest it's the it's the opposite of buying an individual equity like it's the exact opposite yeah right
1: Uh, well so there is um this might already exist i can do some research it's if not it's in development to package like all the world's readily available debt in terms of bonds and all the world's equities and, and throw that into one portfolio in the proportion of which they exist. So like the U S markets would play a dominant role in that portfolio. And I, I follow the thought experiment, at least like I could get behind it. I think what's important here, this goes back to the conversation we were having earlier is like sometimes the path to getting rich and the path to staying rich are two different things and so you might get rich one might get rich with um concentrated well, bets.
0: did you go from you to one to imply that it is impossible for me to ever <laughs> <laughs> just i just wasn't trying to call anybody out no you're joking sorry
1: so doogles Dougal's you'll get rich with your concentrated bets in in uh, a few businesses right mm-hmm. then when you are filthy rich It might be smart to diversify across multiple markets in the world. So if one market goes to zero, like that doesn't, you know, that's the point where you want to move from concentration to diversification, because once you have no problems paying the bills, you shouldn't be concerned about getting richer. You should be concerned about staying rich. Right. And I can see some argument for this portfolio in a case
0: like that. Nope. (laughs) Even if so, even if that was your goal, I feel like this is a terrible way to do it, because I just imagine the the cost of pricing this stuff, like your your expense ratio on this has got to be like seven percent. Like it's got it's got to be something ridiculous because someone's going out to Botswana and trying to figure out what the, the, um, the value of like the crop (laughs) that they have, there is that they're, they're trying to, to measure or something. I would just imagine this is like a really high priced thing to run and it's not going to last. I mean, look at you bringing facts to this conversation. Yeah, that was not a fact. I mean, that's (laughs) why it's
1: impossible because yeah, I'm done. I throw in the towel. I've been thoroughly beaten today.
0: I'll tell you, this is my uh, worst performance of the pod no untrue the um (laughs) one uh one thing that's interesting is you know when we we talked gosh this must have been maybe like february march when we were talking about nfts a bit more uh and we were talking about the different marketplaces that came up one of them was otis that i brought up and uh have you followed otis just a little bit i mean i just looked at it after you mentioned it yeah um and so uh otis is a it's a platform that allows people to invest in like rare i'll call them collectibles right so like um you can say i want to own a a fraction of incredible hulk like issue number six like that that kind of stuff i over the last like month or two i've seen there are some like cash outs that have been happening in otis and it's it's like it's just like a I don't I don't get the market, to be honest, but it's like a really interesting little market. Um, But one of those was Super Mario Brothers, dude. Super Mario Brothers. If you got in, you could buy like a fraction of Super Mario Brothers and the original value at which when they first offered it was about 78K. And then Super Mario Brothers just sold for like 200K. Oh, I thought it was I thought it was like 4.2 million. No, that That was uh, I think that was like Mario 64. OK. And then Legend of Zelda uh, was another one that sold for a whole bunch. I don't just I so let's just one thing. I have in my possession, in my home, in my basement, connected to a television though. So that means it's like live and ready to thrive. An NES that is 30 years old (laughs) or whatever it is. It's like it's got, you know, the stains from the coke I spilled on it and you know, back in the day. And uh and sit down there with my son play sometimes this NES. It takes about forty five minutes to get it going because you got to like <laughs> you got to blow and use the alcohol swabs and all that kind of stuff. But I have Legend of Zelda, I have Super Mario Brothers. I didn't realize if I'd known that they were worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're oh, first of all they're not. So I know you're... I know because I because I took them to the GameStop and they said I'll give you a buck fifty so
1: <laughs> yeah is this what's so special about these versions is like the first edition like first print or something
0: they've never been opened is all that i know so oh my goodness this is that's so ridiculous i
1: mean yeah. like it's because you could theoretically open it and play and then it'd have
0: the same value of a dollar and 50 cents it actually in theory it would have you know it works so, it's more valuable. <laughs> like, you, uh, I have no You don't know it this. works.
1: No, there's manufacturing defects and all sorts of other things. No, no,
0: I mean, if you, if you put it in and play it, then you know it works. So, in theory, it, it should be more valuable to you. Whereas, if it's never I, been opened, you don't even know if there's actual game in it. That's kind of my point. Yeah. Did they do an x ray to
1: confirm that there's a game inside this cartridge?
0: I just, the, the person at like Christie's or Sotheby's or whatever, you know, like when they're holding up this, uh, this game like did they rethink their life choices like how did how did i get to this place you know when i was talking about a oh they're so happy about (laughs) it
1: oh they're so i mean it's basically like a banksy like i mean can you imagine holding (laughs) up that super mario brothers that's unopened
0: i really can't no
1: do you want to talk about showing up every day
0: yeah yeah so there's this article i thought it was great it's called the Unreasonable Effectiveness of Just Showing Up Every Day. And uh, we'll put it on, on, the, on the tweeters. The reason I like this article is because of its simplicity. And it's a message that like we've thrown out a bunch. But I'll give you the context of it. This guy is talking about how he, over the course of a number of years, he and a, and a partner of his wrote software that has done well for them and has grown. But the way that he did it was he just said, I'm going to write some code every day, no matter what. I'm just going to go I might it might be like one line of code today and I might spend 5 minutes tomorrow I might spend 30 seconds the next day but every day I'm going to do something. I I love this again as I mentioned for the simplicity, but I also really when you when we bring it back to investing, I like it because of something we've talked about a, a lot which is like investing is actually fairly boring, right? And you just have to kind of stick to it and it's about the compounding, going back to William Green, he's brought up the the concept of compounding goodwill, right? Is that Um, but it's just the idea of compounding. Like if you write a line a day, then in, in two years, you're going to have written a lot of code, but it's not about getting that quick fix today. It's not about today going out and getting a bunch of leverage because I have to make my returns tomorrow. Um, it's about just sticking with it.
1: Yeah. I'm a contrarian today. I think there's an additional piece to this. So this is typesense.org. I think not only did they show up every day, but I think they also had uh, some strategic thought to guide the product market fit that ultimately ended up in a really successful, well, I shouldn't say really successful, in a, in a product that they're proud of, right? I think of previous jobs I've had and colleagues that have hated their job that have still managed to show up every day, but I'm not sure that they showed up every day in the way that this article
0: refers to it. Am I just being like a negative Nancy today, Deagles? no i know i mean I, that that's a it's a necessary point that you just made it's not just about showing up like if i if i literally go to the gym every day that's <laughs> and it don't, yeah, like, yeah. I, I just go <laughs> like that doesn't i could tell you dude i've gone to the gym every day for five years <laughs> N- nothing you know what'd you do there I went to the gym, bro. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think I think that it, that is an important point. And one of the things that the article brings brings up, I think, in regard to what you mentioned, is that the uh, the market or the product they chose isn't one that is like a a flash in the pan that they have to get done today. Like it's a it's yeah. something that will be important right in the years to come. I can't remember exactly what they created, but I think that that's important. And you know, your your heart has to be in it too. But it's more the point I was bringing up was more just about not trying to not feeling like you have to get the end result today or tomorrow, but understanding that compounding is a real thing and stick with your system and just go after it. So I'm fully behind that. And I think, yeah, what I kind
1: of saw is this long term perspective, but the it's typesense.org. I believe it's an open source search tool and I'm not super familiar with it, but the thing they did with building their business which is very relatable to investing is they picked a huge growing market and so they knew that if they worked over 5 to 7 years and could take a tiny piece of that huge growing market it could be it could turn into a nice business for them in investing if you pick a solid approach and I'd I'd almost say a quantitative approach but a solid approach to investing and you know you have time for that compounding to Take hold, then patience and a long term point of view is is absolutely the right perspective, and I I do see the parallel absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, can can I bring up an investment? Oh please, Intel. I'm gonna buy it, Douglas.
1: Are you actually? I'm gonna do some more research. It's down from when we last talked. Okay, I saw. I'm so
0: excited about. I this. saw that you know they're they're spending or looking to spend. 30 billion dollars on buying a uh foundry
1: yeah so reset for folks we we first uh we did 13f reviews of uh investors a few months back and intel showed up in seth klarman's uh 13f right and so i was digging into it and thought there were some very interesting points Dougal's perspective on this, correct me if I'm wrong, is this is trash and the, he wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. The market has moved beyond Intel. Is that right? It's not. Not right. What does that even mean? Exactly. Um, so then we've also talked about global supply chains restriction with basically Taiwan uh, Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation is doing like 90% of all the world's tiny chips, like yep. six nanometers or less. And the Biden administration is concerned about that bottleneck and also what that could mean to like future wars and dominance, right? So um, they've raised that as a potential, I'd say almost national security threat. And just this week it came out, I knew this was coming out, that um, Intel might buy a foundry because they need to get in the game. Now, from an investment perspective, That actually gives me a lot of concern because most acquisitions are just a nice way for CEOs to burn money. But hypothetically with the right government backing and everything else, it could be a very interesting play because if you become like the Airbus to someone else's Boeing in a market that is clearly here to stay and will continue to be more competitive, but also should have pricing power, basically, if you make really good semiconductors, as you see now, you, there's 90 plus of those that go into a car and they go into your phones and they go into your computers. They go into everything of relevance uh, these days that are related to electronics, TVs, you name it. So smart speakers, whatever else, right? So it's an intriguing investment.
0: Yeah, I, well, I, I know you think it is. I, I think it's a, it's a really intriguing company. I think Intel's a great company and i think that this uh in, in a world where you know we're we're screaming america from the rooftops i think that it's a it's a play that they have to make My 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 primary concern is going back to the language we talked about earlier have to like yeah, you they just ha- still they, have to they have yeah. you know, i think that's the thing i think intel has to do this and investing in a company that is in a place of desperation 30 billion dollars of desperation is uh we, we all make our choices skippy <laughs> uh first of
1: all we don't give investment advice second of all i'm looking into it it's intriguing the desperation piece that you're missing is sometimes that's where when people's backs are up against the wall that's where you have the breakthrough insights yeah sometimes i mean uh, like apple was the most desperate company in the world there for a while when they're getting loans from microsoft Yeah, and Apple's now the world's largest company
0: yeah, Apple in the late '90s was probably a terrible investment. It turned out. That's like your time real. horizon, right? No, no, I mean, it like, it turned out very, very well. But at that time, like, a company that's weeks away from bankruptcy, et cetera, et cetera, is a terrible yeah. investment. But yeah, they, I think you're, you're right. Like, constraints can lead to such innovation. It's amazing. And you have the jobs, you know, coming up in there. So, but anyway, we all make our choices.